Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this part at the very end of September 2023. Mm -hmm. And welcome to episode 117, A Conversation with TJ Jemison. Well, first, we want to give a shout out to our friend, Melissa. She has come to many of our book clubs, and we know she's a longtime listener. Mm -hmm. She tweeted, do we say tweeted anymore or X'd? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm going to say say tweeted. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) She tweeted, traveling between schools means podcast season. Some of my faves for, quote, the in-car, wait, in-the-car PD, end quote, and inspiration. At Make Math Moments, who I listen to, too. At P.W. Harris, who I listen to, too. That's Math is Figure Outable. At Lauren Karina. Thanks, Melissa. (laughs) And then she had a fourth one at Casas Jimmy, and it's the interview chair Coaching Conversations with Jimmy Casas. Well, thanks, Melissa. Now I have to add that to my podcast list and mm-hmm. find out what that's all about. But you have a reflection for this week, don't you? Yes. Yeah, so we, when in our conversation with TJ, we talked about slow reveal mm-hmm. uh, graphs, and I did use some already this school year, and I just, I do love them. They are fantastic. Just the conversation, I love the element of surprise when you actually give them, it was a data table that I gave them, and when you actually give them what it was, they're like, Oh, that's not what I thought it was at all. So we, I gave them, it was this data table that had first, I just showed the whole numbers uh, and then I showed the decimal numbers. So they thought it was just going to be all whole numbers. So when they saw the decimal number parts, they were like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And then it was like day one, day two, day three, day four, and then they weren't expecting that. And, and so it turned out to be- uh, Wait, can I much- guess? Sure. Okay. I think it has to do with um, somebody like training, like running, and then how many seconds. Okay. It wasn't. It was (laughs) was like pounds of dog food at a dog shelter. So it, yeah. So it like, or it was like week one, week two, week three was probably weeks. It wasn't days. So that there, I threw you off a little bit there, but- that's okay. Yeah, no, it was it was uh it was great. It, it you know like the engagement that you get from the kids, the that surprise element, it just makes it fun, you know. So, yeah, and not only that, reveal. you're bringing in like social justice, like community volunteering kind of opportunities, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. And and the fact that it also, I mean so many times kids don't even read the darn titles of things on charts and data tables. So it just highlights the importance of actually reading the titles and actually reading the key and actually reading, you know, all of those little elements. Uh, But how much information you can get just from a data table or a line graph or a bar graph, like all of those things. So yeah, slow reveal for the win. I'm a big fan. That's awesome. Uh, And then- 
Yeah. And then my other part of my reflection, part B of my re- reflection <laughs> is that I've done a lot more error analysis this this year. So I'm really proud of myself. Yay, me. Uh, just like throwing student, pa- not, okay, so it's not student work that I have, uh-huh. but it was student work that was available to us through our, our uh, curriculum that we use. And so, yeah, so I've just thrown that up there and had a conversation about it. And the beautiful part was that it sparked a huge debate in my room for one of them because the kids were arguing as to whether or not it was right or wrong. The answer was correct, but there the the way it was done, it was standard algorithm <sighs> and Oh, sorry, did I did I do that out loud? Ugh, yeah, well, that is a standard. I have to teach it, <laughs> but it was standard algorithm, and there was a regrouped digit part that was missing. Ah. This still got this right answer. So kids were like, "Well, it's not right because they didn't they didn't do this like they skipped that whole step of regrouping." And other students were like, "But no, they got the right answer." So they were going back and forth. And then like two minutes later, my principal walked into the room. <laughs> so I was like, I brought it back up again so so that she could hear it. But it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, let me grab my coffee. Let me sit oh, I'm just going to say, and, grab the popcorn and, and, <laughs> and go at it. Right. So it was, it was great. It was a great moment. Mm, I had one of those moments too this week. And Did you? I, I don't remember what we, the kids were saying, but one side of the room, somebody said something, actually we were on the carpet and the other side of the carpet, the, I think it was with the fourth graders and these two started arguing. And I literally said, math argument. And I looked at the kid next to me and I go, this is my favorite part. (laughs) She just cracked up. (laughs) That is funny. Oh, and it's those moments when you want admin to walk in. Right. Right. I mean, I kind of had ho- I had wanted her to walk in like two minutes prior because it was really heated, but it, but it still was good. It was one of those it was just cool moments in a math classroom where there was actually debate. Um. So yeah. So That's that was cool. good. That was fun. Mm-hmm. One of those unscripted but teachable moment. Kind yeah, of. and I had no idea it would spark like that much. <laughs> Uh, passion. Right. Yes. Yes. That's the right word. That much passion, but it it, it most certainly did. And it's funny, like, I feel like if I brought it up next year, it probably wouldn't have as much magic. It's just, there's something about this question with this class that they just, they just, it just took, took them. That is awesome. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have to share my good news. You ready for this? Yes. Yes. All right. I made it into step one <laughs> again of trying to get on the NCTM board of directors. So Woo-hoo. I actually worked on my application today and I'm going to send it in probably today or tomorrow, probably today, just to get it off my mind. And right. then I wait just to see okay. if I make it into the slate, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. listeners, I will keep you posted. Hey, if you're not an NCTM member and you want to vote for me, if I make the slate, you ha- I, we learned this last year, you have to be a member before January something or other. And I'll let you know what that something or other time frame is. But <laughs> yeah. Nice. So this one's going for, I'm going for an at-large position, not elementary, because obviously she has the position for three years. 
But you know what I'm really excited about? I get to meet her. I'm assuming she'll be at the NCTM annual conference. So oh, I can, right. I can, I mean, I did text her, not text her. I emailed her, you know, congratulations last year, but I, now I get to hug her and say, congratulations. And yay. Yeah. That that's going to be super fun. Yeah. My good news is a conversation that I had with Alex, my daughter in the car. So she had trouble with a question on her assessment uh, that she just took on Friday. So this was yesterday, like on our way home. Mm-hmm. And she was really upset about it. She was really stuck and she couldn't move on. It was, And of course, it was like the first question Ugh. and she got stuck on it. And uh, I actually even saw her at lunch and she was a little teary eyed. And I'm like, what's the matter? So I kind of gave her a pep talk, you know, in the hallway. But she remembered the question too. She's like, it was it was four times 825. And I said, ooh, those are good numbers. <laughs> I, I said, ooh, that's interesting. So what did you do? And she tried to do standard algorithm and she couldn't figure it out. And then she got stuck and she couldn't get unstuck. And I so I flipped it and I just said, I said, but that's that's great that you got stuck. Now you got to figure out what do you do when you get stuck because that's 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 the real learning, yep. right? That's like what else can you do because you're going to have times in your life where you're going to get stuck and now you've got to figure out how to get unstuck. And I said, what else could you have done? And then she and then she was like, well, I don't know. I said, you know, lots of different ways that you could have multiplied those numbers. And she said, well, I guess I could have done area model. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, you could have done area model. And what would you have done if you had done area model? And she's like, well, I would have done the four times 800 mm-hmm. and then the four times 20 and then the four times five. And I said, you know, 25 and four. Yeah, you're like, is just so good together because it makes me think of quarters and like what happens when you have four quarters she's like you have a dollar like right away like she did not like no problem nothing Mm -hmm. and I'm like well then if you have if you for four quarters if that gives you a dollar what would it mean if you had 25 and you had four of them she's like that would be a hundred like again she didn't hesitate there too I said, yeah, that's what four times 25 is. And then what's like four times 800? Like, what would that look like? And she's like, well, it would be 32 and right? Like four times eight is 32. And then times like, okay. 100, right? Right. And she's like, and then that would be 32 hundreds. She even like kind of said it like that. And I said, oh, so that's interesting. What's 32 hundreds? And she said 32 hundreds. Like she just said right. it like that. Um and I kind of got her to, well, okay, but what is that? That would be like where, what would be that? What would, what's another name for that number? And so she finally got to like 3,200. And I said, okay, so you have 3,200 and another, another hundred. hundred. And she's like, oh, she's like, that's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> you just have to look at it a different way, right? right. Like it's just – Remember, and then I said, like, what if we looked at it even another way? What if we looked at it as as five groups of 825? Or if we looked at it as two groups and then two groups again? Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, she's like, I could have added. <laughs> 
I'm like, yes, yes, honey, you could have added. Yeah. So it was, it was overall, it was a great conversation. So I'm glad that we had it. And I'm glad she kind of failed in yeah. order to, right? Like failed at that question so that it brought the conversation up and it, and we were able to discuss it. So yay, yay for her. Yay for the conversation. Yay for struggles. Yay. You know what? My, so I'm, you know, I'm teaching, I'm subbing this week and next week for my colleague and I'm doing the accelerated classes. And so Alex, she's in fourth right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to teach the fifth grade curriculum, well, fourth and fifth, but mostly the fifth grade curriculum to these fourth graders. Yeah. And, you know, some of them are trying to jump to standard algorithm and I'm like, and I'm watching them work and forget struggle. They're just doing it wrong. Like, yes, it, this is not the productive struggle we want. Right. They have no clue right. what is going on. So right. I said, Let, let's try partial products. And I yeah. wrote it all out as they were, you know, saying, oh yeah. And you know, like whatever, 843 times 62. And I was like, that four, that's not really worth a four. What is it? And they're like 40, like they know. And right. then I, after we did that, I was like, let's just do area model. And so we finished the area model and I'd stop and say to them, so where do you see this from the partial products in this with the area model? model. It's the same. And then I did standard algorithm. Now it's like taking multiple partial products, putting it together on one line, right? Yes. So I'd say to them, so where is this, whatever it was, 2100. And one kid was like, oh, it's the 1900 and the 200 or whatever yeah. it was, you know? But I I mean, I have come to loathe standard algorithm because it doesn't get our kids to think at all. Just like Alex, no. she couldn't, right. got stuck in the procedure. Yes. And then couldn't get out get of it. Out of it, yeah. And I, and interestingly, I had a student who, it was the exact same thing. She was stuck in, in, on our assessment yesterday, so same thing, same same idea. She was stuck in the standard algorithm, and she was forgetting. And I was watching her; she was forgetting to place the zero right for that ten in that in that procedure. Right. And and she so the first question she got wrong because the answer wasn't there, uh-huh. wasn't listed. The second question she's like, I know it's wrong because the answer is against not there. <sighs> but she's all the way up to the fifth question, and I said to her. I said, do you have any other way that you could multiply? Is there anything else that you could use? Because this is obviously not working for you. Right. Right? So like, is there something else that you know how to do? And she's like, again, area Area model. model. She's like, I can do the area model. I'm like, then go for it. I wonder what the thing is. I wonder if it's the parents saying, well, this is how I learned. And this is the quote fastest way to get the answer. That's. Parents, that's not what we're trying to get right now. We're trying to get your kids right. to understand what yeah. that operation means. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So anyway. I know. I know. Well, listeners, now here's our conversation with TJ. Listeners, we have a special treat for you today. We have a wonderful human being who I actually got to meet in person at 
at the FCTM conference this past summer, even though we've been following each other on Twitter for a while. And it's TJ Jemison. Uh, TJ, welcome to our show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yes, so excited. I told, I already told you already before, TJ, we started recording that I already feel like I know you because I follow you on Twitter and I, I feel like your feed always pops up. So, or X, whatever it's called right. now. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it just feels, it's so funny that you, you make these connections with people you've never really met, but you feel like you know them. Well, I got to right. hug him in real life. <laughs> so that, there we go. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So TJ, tell our listeners all about you. Okay, well, I'll try to keep it brief because, you know. Uh, so I kind of forayed into education uh, in my master's degree. I, I got a, a BA in English, didn't really know what I was going to do, um, was the youngest in my family, never hung out with anyone younger than myself. So it wasn't until I was much older that I realized, oh, I really like hanging out with children and, and I'm good with children, worked in after school programs, did my master's degree at the University of Vermont and was a dual certified for literacy and for um, consulting teacher. So to be a special educator. And I started my career as a special educator, realized very quickly, I was not good at all at teaching math. I was good at doing math and I got like good grades and, and could get through all high school, college level math, but teaching math, especially to kids who unproductively struggled, not my strength. So in 2002, I was trained as a math recovery specialist and then became a math recovery teacher leader. And that kind of started me on this journey uh, for the last over 20 years now of kind of professional development on pedagogy and content for mathematics instruction um, with, you know, maybe pre-K or kindergarten through fifth grade students. Um, and, and I became a coach in my district uh, and worked in three, three of our elementary schools and kind of worked in classrooms side by side with teachers and, and then started consulting full time around 2009 or so and um, done lots of work around the country in different schools, different cities, different classrooms, and even have gone international. I've been to Africa and Bangkok. Wow. So really just um, had this, some great opportunities to travel and just meet some amazing people. And and I love just partnering uh, with different uh, you know organizations or schools, districts to help improve math instruction. Wow. And so what are you doing now? What's your big role here? Yeah. So, well, right now I'm kind of, uh, it's summer. So I, I'm actually have some personal Woo-hoo! transitions. <laughs> uh, I haven't really made this public, but here it is. I'm, I'm going to be moving to Florida from Vermont. Yay! My home base. I'm so excited and have already kind of started a little kind of math community there. So that's exciting and lots of personal kind of friend community as well. Um, so I'm going to be, I have some, most of my work uh, this coming up this year is in the Northeast. That's a school district in Connecticut, amazing school district. Uh, a shout out to Wallingford School District, really amazing people there. And I'm doing a little work in Maine and uh, I'll have some work in New York City. So uh, yeah, I'm just kind of uh, trying to get myself settled and then see what happens. Uh, I think I'm also going to be out in North Kansas City uh, area a little bit. I have some schools I've worked with there in the past that I'll go back to. So. Okay. So you're still consulting. Exactly. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I got to hear part of your presentation at FCTM on patient problem solvers. That was the day that we had to decorate for our Friday night disco party. So I had to like scoot in, listen a little and scoot out. And so I know that that's the topic that we're going to speak about today, patient problem solvers. I can't wait because 
that way I get to hear a lot more and Karina gets to hear part of this because she wasn't able to attend the conference. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> so I, I want to kind of start by just giving credit to some people that helped me, you know, kind of, I've been thinking about this idea for a long time. Um, and maybe I'll, before I even give some credit, I'll, I'll just talk about what I think many of your listeners, if not all of them will identify with is you go to like, have some rich problem or you think it's rich and uh, you start reading it. And by the time you're done reading it and the question and all the information, there's at least one kid that's shouting out the answer. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have a bunch of other kids that don't even really understand what's going on or haven't even unpacked the problem. Um, So I, to me, this is kind of this, this pandemic level of like impatient problem solvers that we have Mm. kids that just want to get the answer. They don't care about the process or, or explaining to anyone or showing anyone how they thought about the problem, but it's more about just finding the answer, getting the correct answer. Am I right? Is that correct? Um, So I've been kind of really thinking a long time about how do we create a culture that allows students to be patient problem solvers. So they're not just gunning for the the solution or the answer. They're actually enjoying the process of getting there. Um, So I guess that's kind of like, you know, set the scene a little bit for how this all happened. I love that. Yeah, because I feel like that is what we have set up or in the traditional classroom of mathematics, right? We've we've created um, problem getter or answer getters and not thinkers. And so that's, that's always, that's always the question. Did I get this right? Do I have the right answer? And that's one of the first things that I tackle in my classroom. Just, well, you tell me you've, you think you have an answer. You tell me if you have the right answer. I don't know what the answer is. And they're like, Oh, oh, ha Mrs. Cousins, of course, you know what the answer is. I'm like, no, I really don't. Like you tell me, explain it to me. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's, we see that everywhere. Right. How boring is it? Right. If, if all I'm trying to do is just get the answer. So the teacher says, yes, you're right. Like that, that's just boring. <laughs> like, it is. Hire anyone to do that, stand in a room and be like, yes, you have the right answer. Like that's not hard. That's called the um, answer key. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Exactly. right. Exactly. So to me, it's it, it, what's, what's an art form is, is creating the culture where students are curious and they want to engage, mm-hmm. they wanna, you know, they lean into that struggle. And, and of course, they're productive with it, not unproductive. That's not very helpful. Um, but but that, that, that's an enjoyable thing that if you feel accomplished when you've kind of done that and spend some time. So, um, yeah, it, it's, I, I think the people um, that immediately come to mind are, um, Dan Myers is one of them. Um, I have to give him credit. And I saw him speak many, many years ago. Uh, also, um, his uh, TED, TED Talk, um, Transforming Math Education, something like Giving that. Giving math so, class a makeover. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. Yes. Um, because one of the powerful things he says is like, and, and he talks from a high school perspective, mm-hmm. but what he said really resonated with me, even at the elementary level. He said, we have these textbooks and this, these resources, and they do a great job of like, oh, here's how you solve this thing. And here's the example. And here's the problem. Here's the first question. Here's the second question. Here's the third one. And by the time you've done all these steps, like you'll have the answers. And he's like, we, we pave this path for students to solve a problem. And then we applaud them for, um, for 
jumping over the cracks in the pavement, right? And so we don't even really create issues for students because we give them all the information. We circle it in red or yellow. You know, we talk them through that. And then we we give them what the question is. And they don't really have to think like you were saying, Karina. They don't have to think. So how can we do it in a way that actually encourages them to kind of dig into that part of like, oh, now it's it's kind of making my brain fire. And this is actually, I like this, you know, yeah. that's really good. And then of course, Steve Line wants the other one. Um, yes. About kind of like a slow reveal. So I've kind of taken bits of pieces from them as well as other people. I don't, you know, I, I could go through a laundry list, but um, I don't want to shortchange anyone. But um, and so I, you know, this is all stuff I've kind of just put together and, and uh, kind of for me, what makes sense. And I've used it, the, kind of some, many of these things with schools and districts. And, you know, we're just, we're focused on creating uh, those patient problem solving. So do you want me to, like, I talked about five steps. Do you want me to kind of talk through those five steps? Sure. That... Sure. Yeah. So the first one is, uh, I always say, start with some kind of image. So uh, actually, Exemplars is a really wonderful company also out of Vermont. And um, they have these really rich problem-solving tasks. And one of the things they've done recently that I love is they start providing all these images. So if you're going to, you know, maybe you're trying to solve a problem about a field trip that a school is taking. And they have, you know, maybe they have 295 students and, you know, 25 students fit on a school bus. How many buses do you need? You know, that's kind of an interesting problem. Um, and so instead of kind of starting with the story and going there and jumping right in like, oh, we're doing word problem solving, you just start with an image. Maybe it's of a school bus. Maybe it's a school bus with a bunch of kids out front. Or, and then you just ask the question, like, what do you notice? What do you wonder? What do you, what do you think, you know, is what, what do you think this story that we're going to learn is going to be about? And so really just getting some of that background knowledge um, for students who maybe never ridden on a bus, like I'm assuming a lot of kids in New York City where I currently am, and maybe they've never been on a, a school bus like that. So they might need a little background knowledge. So we're kind of giving that common kind of experience. And then it also just lets everyone come in because I could notice like, oh, there's black stripes on the school bus. You know, I could notice something that isn't really pertinent to whatever problem we're going to end up solving, but I can still have a voice and be part of the conversation. So it just allows this kind of low entry for all students to engage and be able to be part of the room and and just talking. Yeah, I love that. I I saw a talk that I think it was held through um, Kyle and John's one of his, one of their, um, free webinars that they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, uh, with Steve Leinwald and he, the the virtual math too, probably. Yes. Yes. That's what it was. The one of the, one of those, one of those, one of, you know, they've had so many, I don't know which one, but, um, that's was my first exposure to him. And I did the same thing with, we had, I just took a problem from the textbook. It was a nachos and, and, tacos problem. And that's what I put up on the screen, a picture of tacos and a picture of nachos. And we just, what do you notice? What do you wonder? Right? Just from there. And the conversation was, well, the ingredients are different. And, you know, you're using how much cheese would you use and et cetera. Right? But it was just building that like you said, it's that low entry and that curiosity because then they're like, well, what are we going to be talking about? And um, so, yeah, it just hooks them. It hooks the kids. That excitement. Yes. I think that's yes. what you're just getting. When kids get excited, what I've learned in my many years, I've been in teaching and been in education more than 25 years. And really, if you can get kids excited, you that's the hook, right? You get yeah. them excited, like, oh, I love tacos. Like all of a sudden, yes. they're firing and they're, they're there just kind of going with you. So not yeah. Kind of get them to engage. 
Um, so the second thing I, I talked about when I, um, I've presented this, this presentation a couple times, but, um, so I'm still perfecting it. Um, but just using that slow reveal. So, and I've done a lot of this with those teachers in uh, Connecticut, I was talking about in Wallingford where we, we just, I started saying to them, like, don't ever give, like Dan Myers was saying, like, don't give all the information, don't give all the information, don't give the question, just kind of give, put up some, some information. So maybe I might put up, there's 295 students in a school, turn and talk to someone. What do you notice? What do you wonder? What are you thinking? What questions do you have? Are those all, all in one class? How many classes are there in this school? You know, there's so many questions we can generate. Um, and then you slowly start giving other information. Okay, now I'm going to tell you that school buses can hold 25 students. Oh, I wonder how many buses they need to get the kids to and from school or, oh, if they're going on a field trip. So, you know, you like often kids will kind of create the story or create the questions I've personally found when you encourage students to ask questions and come up with questions, their questions end up being many times richer and more interesting than the one that the textbook or the, you know, the math word problem was going to ask. Mm-hmm. So, and my favorite part of this is kind of thinking about, I, I have coined it, I think, I haven't heard anyone else say this, but I call it cheap differentiation. So as kids start having wonderings and questions that are pertinent to facts and a story, um, because I don't, I don't talk about word problems. I don't say we're going to solve the problem. I say, I'm going to tell you a story because I'm not going to give them the question. I want them to think about questions. And when they do, I kind of chart them, write them all down. And now I have a bunch of stuff that are extensions for the problem. So when I have that kid who kind of whips through a problem and does it well, and has a good explanation, visual and all that, they can go and they can stay engaged in that problem and just go deeper. You know, that's like going deeper into the mathematics to me. Um, and as a teacher, I'm not having to think of all this new, like extensions for them. They're doing the hard work. So I call that cheap differentiation because, right, the, the kids are doing the hard work, not the teacher, which I love. And I've done that in classrooms as well, where I'll just take the the question off. So I love, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to steal that, but I think I'm going to change it to, I'm going to start a story, right? Because we want them to end it. Yes. I'm going to steal that. Okay. You can. (laughs) So important. See, we're so much better. I know. Gosh. So another um, person I have to call out or just give credit to is Sue O'Connell. And of course, I didn't even mention in my intro that I I, I was a a co-author on the Map by the Book series, um, which is just really a a fantastic uh, resource and project I'm so proud of and just so thankful for Sue for kind of bringing me in and and allowing me to be part of that. But um, she has a, a resource that's called Math and Practice that she worked on prior to TJ coming along, right? Uh, and um, and from there, I, one of the things I learned from her was this thing she calls focus on the question. So the other thing with um, word problems and story problems that I find kids really struggle with is just figuring out the context. And mm-hmm. so for a kid, and, you know, a majority of kids will be just be lost on what's what's happening in the story. Am I adding, subtracting? What's the action? Who who's on first? And um, so with this, what she does is for a week, you might have a set of data 
or an information. So let's pretend there it's about carnival rides and you have a list of different tickets and, you know, this ride needs four tickets and this, this merry-go-round needs two tickets and the bumper car is five tickets, whatever. And then you have different questions every day, but they're relating back to that same set of data. So I don't have to re-energize and get, you know, reinterpret the data. I'm now focused on the question and the structure of the question. And is it, you know, is it missing some information? Do, am I, am I having to add together to total? Am I having to multiply? What is it I'm doing? What's the action? And, and I think that's where is the big roadblock to a lot of students feeling successful and being successful in solving word problems. They just, you know, they just pluck numbers and do some math instead of truly understand what is happening here. So I'll give some credit to my friend, Teresa, who, oh gosh, many, many, many years ago, she introduced me to Mm statements. So just think of a lot of lot of M's together, mm statements, where you take the question and you change it into a sentence format. So if the question was something like, you know, how many oranges are in the basket, then you have the kids write, there are mm oranges in the basket. And that way they know what they're looking for. Yes. Number pluckers. That is, that is definitely, it's part of that whole answer getting, right? It, the, 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 what we've done in math education and with standardized testing, Ugh. honestly, it has really created this environment of we're just interested in the answer and not interested in anything else. And I think that that's, that's where those number pluckers come in because it's just, I see this number, I see this number. I know I'm in fourth grade and we've been doing multiplication, so I'm just going to multiply. Right. Um, no matter what. Instead of actually saying, <laughs> yeah, no matter what, no matter what's going on. Right. No thinking involved. Yep. Exactly. To me, the nice thing though, when you kind of create patient problem solvers, you, you know, some listeners might be thinking, well, but that's great. And they can't, that might not help them, you know, be successful on an assessment. I think it does though, because I think if you get in the habit of like, I'm going to really focus on the information here and I'm, I'm patient, I'm really focusing on thinking about my strategy and what am I going to do? And does that make sense? I think you can apply that when you then are presented with all the information, you know? So I think, I think it's kind of a win-win in my opinion. I don't have any data to back that up, but um, <laughs> un, un, unofficial. We have observational data. <laughs> yes. Yes. So what's the next one? So another, so third was that focus uh-huh. on the question. Fourth for me is, and, and prior to Peter Peter's work coming along, the building thinking classrooms, that piece of work for me that, that really transformed my teaching was Peg and Peg Smith and uh, Mary Kay Stein's The Five Practices for Orchestrating Productive Math Discussions. And so uh, there's five steps to it. There's anticipate, monitor, select, sequence, and connect. And uh, the ones I focus on for this particular piece is anticipating. Because if, I'm, if I have a, an engaging, interesting problem, then I'd better think about how might students engage with it? How might they tackle it? What might be some pitfalls or roadblocks or hurdles to them, right? Because I want to be prepared for all these things. One of the other things I learned from Dan Meyer was like, as soon as you put out information, you can't take it back. So if I have scaffolds, if I have a, a, a sentence frame, if I have manipulatives, if I have whatever, I can always bring those out when needed um, as a scaffold and you know, appropriately timed scaffold for students. But let's see what they can do prior. Let's 
be less helpful and mm-hmm. and be prepared to help students when it's needed. So I think that anticipating part is so hard, to, um, so important to really think about what do I think my students will do with this? I always say, what do I think they'll do? What do I hope they'll do? Um, because if I don't have many students doing what I hope they'll do, then maybe there's a question I can ask that will encourage them to think about that thing. You know, like when you have numbers like uh, 201 subtract 199 and no one thinks about like, just count on your fingers forward or back, you know, (laughs) if I want students to do that, I need to have a question ready to go, not say, oh, you can just do this because then I'm just telling them, showing them. But if I ask a question that gets them to go, oh, I could just do this, you know. That's so much more powerful, I think. So the other parts of the, the five practices would be then be the selecting and the sequencing. So when we're solving interesting, engaging, challenging problems, it's nice to kind of observe. You've done a lot of anticipating, so you have ideas about what students are going to do. Kind of walk around the room, observe and take notes, anecdotal notes, and then select some students' work to look at and you know kind of have a conversation about their strategies and you can kind of put strategies against each other, not as competitive, but as like, hmm, how are they the same? How are they different? What did this person do that you like that that maybe this person could add? Or, or wow, they both did different things and they're both kind of valuable to look at, just different. Um, so I think that's so valuable for students who maybe don't have as many strategies or maybe their strategies are very um, time-consuming. Inefficient, so I was thinking, yep. Yeah. 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 So let's get them to learn from each other. Um, And I just think that's so powerful when students can see that, because I think we often have students looking at each other's work and and a student who's maybe at a very concrete kind of drawing or using their fingers level, which is fine. But if they're there and they see someone else who's using equations or some kind of, you know, something to to, um, represent those things, they might think like, oh, they're just doing different math. When really they're doing the same math, it's just in a different form. So let's help them make those connections. Absolutely. And I think mm-hmm. it's hard to do all of that if you're not doing that anticipating and then selecting and sequencing kind of kids' work. So you're you're kind of taking them on a journey. For sure. Okay, so that was the fourth one. What's your fifth idea about creating patient problem solvers? Well, like need a drum roll or something. Right? Like. Okay, here. <laughs> So this this is something that actually is in building thinking classrooms, but um, and so I want to give credit there, but I, but I started doing this way before building thinking classrooms came out. So you know, it's one of those things when you read it, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing that. Like it really confirms, yes. you know, affirming. And mine is, and it's maybe sounds counterintuitive, but it's don't let kids talk about their work. So when you do select some kids' work to put up, don't have them stand and deliver. And it's so boring to listen. I, I mean, I'm talking from my own personal, like if I had colleagues and we're, we're looking at each other's work, I'd rather just look and try to make sense of their work. And if I can't go, hey, well, tell me about this part, you know, but if I can make sense of it because they did a really beautiful job kind of explaining and showing and with numbers, pictures, words of like their thought process, why do they need to say anything? Um, so I think put kids work up and, and let the work stand for itself and then have other kids turn and talk to each other. And I always say, can you get into this person's head? Can you figure out what they were doing? The nice kind of added benefit to this is 
you know what? You end up getting better work in the long run from your kids the first time out because they have an authentic audience that they're creating something for. They're not uh, performing for the teacher. They're not doing it so, oh, the teacher can tell me I'm right or wrong or I pass, but they're doing it so they can communicate their thinking to other people. And isn't that what we want students' mindset to be? And that's how we're going to prepare them for jobs in the real world. You know, you have to be able to communicate well um, and show your thinking. So to me, that's one of the most important pieces um, of this, but it's hard. It's hard to do because it, it, I think we've been in this pattern of just, oh, kid does great work, put their work up, let them talk about it, present to the class. Yeah, that was a great shift for me too. Um, when I had students see somebody else's work and then try to communicate what, you know, try to explain what it is that they were doing. And at the beginning of the year, it's always so interesting because they're not used to doing that, like really showing their thinking on on the white books. We use the you know vertical non-permanent surfaces. So we have white books in my class. But uh, to have that up there and the kids are like, I have no idea what they did, right? And that's so powerful in itself because then they see the, the need for communicating their ideas in writing, right? And how important that is. Yes. I, I have a rule of three, which is for, for two of the things I talked about, um, for questions, when, you, when you're trying to get kids to be better at questioning, it's going to take at least three times of having them putting mm-hmm. stuff up, you know, what questions do you have? The questions, excuse my language, their questions are going to suck at first. You know, they're just going to be crappy questions. But what, after you've done it three times, they tend to start coming up with much better questions. And I think it's the same with, um, with the whole piece about looking at each other's work. Like, you know, if you do it, do it, make it part of your habit, part of your practice. I think you'll find that the work students create in the first place is much better quality work. It's neater. It's more organized because again, they have this audience. If I'm creating something on paper because I know my work might be selected, I don't want to kind of be a fool that has this messy workup that everyone's going, I have no idea because it's so messy. Right. right? to put out better quality work. So you have to kind of be patient with well, that's that's like my hour talk and 20-ish minutes. I know. And I was just going to say, you know, there was a lot of interaction in the uh, live version, you know, where we got to turn and talk with people and create things. But I, I really, we both, we really appreciate your time and coming on here and giving us your hour-long presentation in, you know, 25 minutes kind of thing. <laughs> no, I love it. And anytime I'm happy to come and, you know, hopefully since I'll be transitioning to Florida, we can all get together and like we said, have some, some libations together and do a little dinner or something. It'd be great. That'd be great. That's awesome. That'd be great. What a great conversation. Wasn't that Karina? I loved it. it you was know what? Great. We forgot to tell the listeners we recorded that in July with him. We did. And now it's the end of October. It? No, it's the end of wow. September. I'm sorry. Time it's- means nothing. You know, it's <laughs> like, wait, oh, no, gosh. October 1st is tomorrow. Yeah. All right, listeners, our challenge for you this week is to share with us how you create patient problem solvers in your classroom. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. We invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag learningthroughmath. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. To you too.